Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin Wa salatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya Ibn Musalim Sayyidina Muhammadin Wa ala alihi wa sallam Good afternoon Salam integrasi Munafi dan akli uh, Salam ukhwah everyone I guess it is not too late to wish Takaballahu minna wa minkum Salul amal Kul amwa antum khair Happy Eid Mubarak to all Okay, I'm Dr. Fadil Rahim, your moderator for today, Senior Lecturer at the Islamic Science Institute, ISI, University of Science Malaysia. We welcome everyone to the Islamic Science Lecture Series, or Series Sharan Science Islam. And it is our fifth year this, uh, this year, uh, fifth, sorry, fifth lecture this year. Uh, thank you very much to every one of you present, pre present here, following and watching or listening to us live or will be joining us soon or will be listening to us and following our recording of this. Yeah, it's kind of different uh, intro nowadays, right? <laughs> during the pandemic and MCO and doing, uh, doing series of lectures online, okay? So um, if this uh, lecture series is in Malay, there shall be some opening pantun for me. <laughs> Instead, I'll save it for the rest, okay? Uh, it is of our great honor for ISI this year to have had four lectures series already, uh, four lectures already with iconic figuras and uh, figuras that have shaped and moulded and engraved the path for USIM, right? Especially ISI to move forward for knowledge frontiers and making an impact with Islamic science research through integration of NAKLI and AKLI, reveal and acquired knowledge. And today, it will be a steeper climb to the pinnacle of the grand idea and with the designers, especially for ISI and C, because with us, eagerly at sharing much, is the renowned Professor Dato Dr. Asma Ismail, our beloved top leader, now President of the Academy of Sciences Malaysia, and formerly Vice Chancellor of USIM. Welcome, Professor. Terima kasih. It is our yeah, it is our honor to have you today, Professor. And I've had the blessings to be here hosting this for today. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. So uh, with us today together is the director of ISI, Professor Anna Yusuf, Deputy Directors, Ustaz Muhammad Azizin Abdul and Dr. Nuriza, uh, and the staff at March to be anchoring this program, and. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. A bit of reminder before I invite Yang Berbahagia, Prof. Datuk, who I'm very sure eagerly awaiting to share. Uh, please, everyone, quickly mute your microphones and switch off your camera to allow Prof. Datuk to be spotlighted throughout her lecture. You may post your questions on the chat panel so that I'll collect and reiterate them for Prof. Datuk to respond to at the end of the lecture, right? Uh, I shall introduce Yang Bagia Progato by reading her short bio. Ladies and gentlemen, the renowned Professor Dato Dr. Asma Ismail is a woman of many firsts. She was the first female Vice Chancellor of University Science Islam Malaysia USIM in 2012 and the first female Vice Chancellor of University Science Malaysia between 2016 and 2019 making her the first woman to, woman to be appointed twice as the vice chancellor of a public university. She has served as the country's first female director general of higher education between 2014 and 2016, and is currently the first 
female president of Academy of Sciences Malaysia (ASM) between 2016 and 2022. She also serves as the first female to be the chairperson of the Malaysian Qualification Agency (MQA) between January 1, 2019, and December 31, 2021. Her current position is as the Ibn Sina Chair for Medicine at UIEM, the chairholder through to 2022. She also serves as an honorary professor at the Institute for Research in Molecular Medicine, USM, and associate research fellow at the Biotechnology Research Institute, University Malaysia Sabah. Her educational background includes having a BSc Biology from the University of Nevada, USA, MA Microbiology from Indiana University, USA, and a PhD Cellular and Molecular Biology from UNR. Her field of expertise in medical microbiology and medical biotechnology facilitated scientific discoveries in diagnostic biomarkers that have led to the attainment of 15 patterns and commercialization of the rapid diagnostic test for typhoid called Typhidoc, which was advocated by the World Health Organization, WHO. As a researcher, she has published more than 131 papers, received more than 213 awards and recognition, presented more than 435 papers, including 376 invited talks or plenaries, and more than 48 keynotes both at the national and international level. She was elected the Academy of Sciences Malaysia in 2003, sorry, the Academy of Sciences for the Developing World was in 2010 and the Islamic World Academy of Sciences in 2016. She was elected as honorary member of the Iranian Academy of Medical Sciences in 2017 and the following year as a member of the College of Fellows, Kiel University and a governing advisory board member for Ritz-Tumaken Asia Pacific University, Japan. Uh, in recognition for her leadership in lifelong learning in the Commonwealth, especially for women, and her outstanding service to the advancement of higher education and science in Malaysia, she was conferred as Honorary Fellow of the Commonwealth of Learning in September 2019 and Honorary Scholar for IIASA, Institute for Applied System Analysis, Vienna, Austria, in November 2019. She currently serves as the selection panel for the Merdeka Award and Roots Scholarship to select Malaysia's to Oxford University. In 2020, she was elected to be a board member of Commonwealth of Learning based in Vancouver, Canada. She also serves as a board member for CRESS, Collaborative Research in Engineering, Science and Technology Center to move STI-based companies in the country since 2017. Her landmark contribution to Malaysia's higher education system include the establishment of the prestigious National Academic Award, Anugrah Academic Negara, the establishment of research universities in Malaysia, and also in co-whelming the development and implementation of the Malaysian Education Blueprint, Higher Education 2013 to 2025. For her outstanding contribution and being an exemplary figure in the field of higher education, research, innovation, and policy on science and technology locally and abroad, she received an honorary doctor of science from the University of Glasgow in 2013, Indiana University's Thomas Hart Benton Mural Medallion in 2015, honorary degree doctor of the University, Kiel University, and honorary doctorate in literature 
from Kyoto University of Foreign Studies KFS in 2017 respectively. In May 2001, quite recently, she has been appointed by the Prime Minister of Malaysia to be a member of the National Action Council on Shared Prosperity Vision under the Distinguished Educator category. Right. So, thank you very much uh, to make some time for today's Islamic Science Lecture from Dato. It's an SIC, sharing is scary session, I call it, to make it more of the shirts prosperity we envision today together in Malaysia, right? So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much to be uh, those who are eagerly waiting. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna fi khalqis samawati wal ard wa khilafil layli wal nahari la ayatil li'ul albab alladhina yathuruna Allah qiyama wa qu'udam ala junubihim wa yatafakkaruna fi khalqis samawati wal ard Rabbana ma khalaqta hadha batila subhanaka faqina adabad nar means surely in the creation of the heaven and earth and the alternation of the night and day are the signs of the people of wisdom those who remember Allah standing and sitting and lying on their sides and who mediate thinking about the creation of heaven and earth say, Our Rabb, you have not created all this aimlessly without any purpose. Glory be to you. Guide us then from the punishment of fire. Al-Imran, verse 190-201. So, without further ado... ISI is honored to bring you Yang Wadiya Prof. Asma Ismail with integration of knowledge in performing impactful research. The floor is yours, Prof. Dato. Okay. Uh, terima kasih. Uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Salam sejahtera. Terima kasih banyak, uh, Dr. Fazli, for the kind um, introduction. Uh, I hope the lecture beats up to the requirements, uh, uh, and um, uh, and I also would like to acknowledge the presence of uh, Professor Adan, uh, the director for ISI, and also all the um, the directors, uh, sorry, the deputy directors of ISI and um, uh, distinguished uh, uh, lecturers, colleagues, and staff who still remember me. Um, and also, um, it's great to be back again um, to touch base, walaupun tidak secara fizikal, uh, dengan, dengan musim. So, let me now uh, share uh, the screen um, regarding uh, the talk. Okay. Um, basically, um, the talk today is add to what ISI, when, when I first arrived in Usim, I wanted to do something about how do you make sure that nama, apalah ada pada nama, University of Science, Islam, Malaysia, but what is it that people will be asking for? Where is the lambang yang menunjukkan uh, Islamic science uh, is the trust of the university uh, following its name? Uh, and that is not just another Islamic University, you already have an Islamic University which is called UIA or IIUM. So was basically that is one of the reasons why we went into Senate and set up uh, ISI and, and I hope that ISI can live up to its name. Uh, it's finding its way and, and hopefully we can live up to its name uh, in creating the kind of impact that is needed um, in order to move the university 
uh, young yeah, that the one that is actually trying to promote the integration of Nagali and Aki, right? So this is a talk on integration of knowledge in performing um, impactful um, uh, research. Basically, um, uh, when we talk about um, uh, this particular lecture, I would like to touch base on these uh, aspects. One is about uh, COVID-19, how it changed the world, how the world does science and research. Then I'm talking about convergence of knowledge and some of the big pictures about what are the grand challenges that you are now going to see and face, um, expectations of universities and academics in the 21st century. And then we have want to bring you back to basic and ask you the question, what is the purpose of doing research? And uh, talking now about impactful research and malicious um, solution. Uh, basically um, towards impactful research with the 1010 Malaysian SGIE, Science, Technology, Innovation and Economy and the Malaysian Grand Challenge Grant that we'll be talking about. And, and the last part so that uh, I still have an audience is to perhaps suggest to Usain uh, some of the research opportunities uh, that Usain can look forward to. Now, let me begin by saying that COVID-19 pandemic has basically taught us many lessons and gaps that need to address uh, and that need to be addressed fast. And the pandemic basically has taught us that in order to remain resilient, we need science to power our economy post-COVID-19. And what's happening is that while political leaders basically locked their borders, uh, we begin to see an enhanced global collaboration among scientists and also among non-scientists and among all the researchers in the global race who actually develop vaccines, diagnostics, as well as therapeutics. And we see scientists now showing shared responsibility by repurposing their labs to better understand the virus. And we see engineers repurpose their design and production facilities to supply the much needed personal protective equipment. Uh, one word that needs to remember we are now out with silo, silo mindset, silo thinking, silo working, and the key word now is collaboration. And we also now begin to see uh, enhanced sharing of information and um, knowledge. And, uh, and you begin to see uh, where um, personal KPIs basically were set aside and information was shared on the fly via Zoom or via online repositories uh, to make studies and discoveries available for the world to read months ahead before uh, the actual uh, paper is being reviewed or is being published. And so we see now social responsibility takes the front line since an outbreak because of the fact that an outbreak anywhere is a risk everywhere, right? An outbreak anywhere is a risk everywhere. So basically, it's not like you protecting yourself only in Malaysia, but if there is an outbreak in Africa, it's going to hit us soon enough. So an outbreak anywhere is a risk everywhere. So what is more important, uh, therefore, is to come up with a solution for everyone, not just a solution for your country, but a solution for everyone. And the way to achieve that is to collaborate in order to design and develop the people's vaccine, the people's diagnostics and therapeutics all against COVID-19. And what you're seeing now is that during a crisis, when the world faced with a crisis, suddenly age index citations were all out of the window. And what is important now is outcome or impact, right? 
And this is more important than outputs because publications, etc., they are just outputs of knowledge. But impact is what people are now looking for and what people are asking science to now give solution to this COVID-19. So the feeling of shared responsibility or values now is so strong and become stronger so that whatever information shared can now help scientists worldwide to act faster. So in times of crisis, this is the bottom line that for you to actually uh, see. It is result or key KRI, key result indicator. That is the one that matters. And suddenly now um, the world is seeing that science is now seen as a global public good. And for future pandemic preparedness, because this pandemic COVID-19 is not the last one, we're going to face more pandemics in the future. Uh, already science is showing us that there are a lot more viruses out there and uh, zoonotic diseases and the transmissibility from the animals to the humans is going to happen. And predictability by artificial intelligence also is showing that we're going to get more uh, pandemic due to upper respiratory infection. And so for future pandemic preparedness, we now know also that STI alone, it will not allow resilience, all right? So we need to work in an integrated and collaborative ecosystem and no longer in silos. So, and even now, the way government Malaysia is um, uh, tackling uh, the pandemic, we have MKN. So basically this Madras has got all the various ministries together, the agencies together, all now providing help to KKM. Uh, and also making decisions together. So this is what we call as whole government approach and whole societal approach. Because if the government says MKN, we say uh, MCO and the people do not follow and we continue to have increased cases of uh, COVID. So this is what we mean by we need also society, whole societal approach to, for any policies to actually work. So we need a strategic and systematic integration of science, technology, religion, us, humanities, along with innovation, entrepreneurial and global mindset in order to adequately meet the challenges of the 21st century. So basically, we need to work together to provide solutions for humanity and no longer about how each discipline can now provide solution. It's no longer about how uh, medical can provide the solution or how engineering can provide the solution or how Quran and Sunnah can provide the solution. It's actually now providing solutions for humanity, but working together um, in an integrated and collaborative manner. So in short, the complex global issues require an integrated ecosystem to connect the dots and provide solutions that can now create a sustainable change. And to connect the dots, basically, we must have convergence of knowledge from the sciences and other disciplines. So perhaps this is a little um, uh, uh, way to uh, understand uh, what we mean by convergence of knowledge. If you want to make salad, these are the ingredients of salad, let's say, yeah? So these ingredients of salad is each discipline, let's say all these tomato, capsicum, the salad, all these are individual discipline. But if you now break all this and put it into a bowl, this is called multidisciplinary, right? Where multidisciplines, they come together, they work together, but the individual discipline remain intact. You are, you, sometimes uh, the, the, the university asks you guys to work together. Yeah, you work together on a project, uh, but uh, each discipline still remain intact. Masing-masing ingin buat dirinya sendiri-sendiri, right? But we just bound together 
uh, on a plate, uh, in a, in a, in a, uh, on a cluster, for example. But when you start to now go to interdisciplinary, all right, so when we start to go to interdisciplinary, this is where now we begin to see a dissolving of discipline boundaries by looking for common themes across the discipline that can serve the higher order learning objective. And this uh, include the thinking skills, the problem solving and decision making. Let's say if you want to make curry, all the ingredients of curry have now, uh, individual ingredients have now melted to what we call curry, but still there are distinctiveness like the fish is still seen, okay? Now, the best kind uh, is transdisciplinary, whereby uh, what it takes here is like a piece of cake, whereby all the ingredients like sugar, the flour, the eggs, everything uh, are individual items, but when you make it into a cake, you no longer see any of the discipline, right? So the idea of transdisciplinary uh, means beyond all discipline, but connected to this by a unifying issue. Let's say we want to now uh, approach problems uh, like hunger and uh, poverty, right? So when we want to uh, reduce the inequity divide, we all work together in the kind of thinking that we want. So that is transdisciplinary, okay? So basically, um, what then is expected of academics? So being in USIM, I don't have to remind uh, all of you, probably you can remind me better. But let me quote what Prophet Muhammad says that when a man dies, his deeds come to an end except for three things. Sadaqah Jariyah, a knowledge which is beneficial or a virtuous descendant who prays for the deceased, right? Basically, what we are saying here is that, can you see this? Knowledge which is beneficial. This doesn't mean just simply leaving the world with a lot of knowledge, but what have you done with that knowledge? that as long as that knowledge has not been made into beneficial, it is not yet good knowledge. So as academics, so if you see all these three, I guess uh, academics in Usim uh, 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 and also people around the world, we are more fortunate because we have the ability to deliver all three. We are in a position uh, to generate knowledge that is beneficial, which happens to be the core business of academics. So as the Khalifa, everyone is a leader with the responsibility to lead humankind to the right path. But as a Khalifa and an academic, we are all leaders in our own micro-environment. So the question is, how now, you see not every core business can be in the position to create knowledge which is beneficial. But we are in that position because it's part of our amana. So how do we now generate knowledge that is beneficial? So to do that, we need to understand what are the challenges and we need to understand what is the big picture. Because sometimes you live in your own micro environment and, uh, and sometimes leaders of the university, which is also not at the national level, the tendency is very high that if the leaders are not at the national level, then uh, the, the people in the university also do not have uh, any idea about what's going on at the national level, nor at the global level. So basically the role and expectations of universities uh, in the 21st century is not just about the generation of knowledge nor the dis and, and dissemination of knowledge, but it's also about the translation of knowledge. What value have we created through innovation and through entrepreneurship? And these solutions that we provide must be through real world experience. We're not talking about solutions just in the lab. Can you bring that solution now to benefit the village, to benefit the city, or to benefit the area of Nilai, for example. And, um, and universities are expected to be 
the engine of growth for the nation via commercialization of R&D and development of knowledge-based enterprises. And of course, in terms of teaching and learning, we are supposed to train innovators of tomorrow with a curriculum that creates entrepreneurs to participate in startups and graduates that are job creators rather than uh, job uh, seekers, but job creators with values and graduates that are good citizens um, and nation builders and care about humanity. And also to empower talents to be action-oriented leaders who deliver solutions to ensure sustainability of change. But with all that requirement, this is a tall order for all universities. And a lot of the time, um, uh, this is the true north of the university. But a lot of the time, sometimes when you move into rankings and you're very single-minded into that kind of uh, world, uh, the tendency is that the university lost its direction and no longer uh, believe in the true north. So what then is the big picture? All the grand challenges uh, that we need to see and face, right? So in the new era, demands new education and new paradigm. Gone were the days of hunter gathering with agricultural age. Uh, they have gone now into industrial age. And we are now in Malaysia based on knowledge-based uh, economy. But the world is no longer is not waiting for Malaysia. We uh, the world is already moving to bio-green economy and finally moving to the humanization economy. And that's why we call uh, education 4.0, humanization of education, right? So basically the future, if you now go, is about wisdom, it's about moral, it's about spiritual. The future concentrate on outcome or impact to humanity, which is KRI, rather than just output, which is KPIs. So basically the future is asking for injection of soul and values in the things that we do. So if that is the case, it should be a piece of cake for Usim, right? Because that should be um, uh, the uh, that should be your bread and butter. So basically, even if we now say, with in, uh, in being an Islamic university as well, you need to also now ask the question: How can you help now uh, with the uh, Muslim world? So if you look at the economic disparity among the Muslim nations, right? You see all this GDP uh, per capita, and you see Malaysia as an upper middle income country, where there are so many poor countries and the high income like Bahrain, Brunei, Kuwait, Oman, and Qatar. Basically, we have to ask this question. Um, can we uh, help in Malaysia, help OIC compete in the new economy by training its future generation? So, um, and if we, if we are going to say so, are we equipping them with knowledge and skills to become agents of change? I ask this question, especially of universities that have a lot of students from the OIC, and the, especially like USIM, or like UIA, or like UNIZAR. And these are the three Islamic universities in Malaysia. And the question that I would like to ask is that, are you training the foreign students from all these OIC countries with knowledge and skills to become agents of change? when they now go back to their country? Are you just, or are you just teaching them same old, same old? So this is an amara that you need to pay attention to, right? Uh, and, and not just, um, you know, take it very lightly uh, regarding the amara that is now on your shoulder. So if you, even if you look at the funding to drive the R&D or R&I uh, for the OIC countries, you see that the, um, the, the whole uh, funding, yeah, is 0.41 compared to world at 1.78 or EU at 1.76. I mean, 
this data is 2012 and you, you, you cannot find a, 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 a much more updated data. Um, and basically all this uh, is uh, below, um, uh, sorry, uh, is very much uh, below 1% GDP. You must understand why 1% GDP. 1% GDP uh, for R&D is very important for other countries to come in and actually invest in that country because it, it means that if a country can set aside 1% GDP for research, that means the country is serious about its research. If the country is lesser than 1% GDP, a lot of people will also say that maybe this country doesn't have the kind of high-end skill that they need in order to invest in that country. So Tunisia in 2012 is about the only country that has met the target, but Malaysia have moved since then in 2012 at 0.63% to 1.04% in 2019. And in RMK12, we are going to move to greater than 2.5%. And I hope that this becomes a reality and not just a fantasy. So with the, um, if you can see this picture with the low commitment to R&D, can we actually transform the socioeconomic well-being of the UMA? So this is the question that uh, perhaps we need to see as well. And perhaps maybe it's not necessary for you to go so far, uh, to go to the OIC, let's talk about Malaysia. Yeah? So there are many poor and marginalized children that grew up without clean water, without electricity, no internet. This is in Malaysia itself, going to schools that lack teachers and with parents that did not complete secondary schools. So what about their future? Who will champion them and believe that they too deserve a better future? So this is now talking about research, doing things that matters, right? But what matters here is that this is an intangible that you cannot count. See, a lot of the times KPI are measurable uh, outputs that you can count. But doing something that matters is an intangible thing, but it's something that you cannot count, but it's something that's very important. So to me, R&I um, cannot be just about knowledge generation and publication. It has to result in societal and industrial transformation. So the question that we need to ask is how do we create balance uh, to our amanah, you know, uh, as a lecturer? How do we create balance between tangible outputs and impact or intangible outcomes? So these are the questions that we need to ask. And if that is the case, then there is a point for us now to mainstream uh, into, um, uh, uh, into the university uh, the KIP, which is Key Intangible Performance, into RNI. So basically, you need to have a balance of KPI, Key Performance Indicator, plus KIP, uh, Key Intangible Performance, in order to create impact. So if that is the case, maybe we should now go back to basic. What is the purpose of why anyone wants to do research, right? Basically, it is to generate new knowledge, not to generate old knowledge, but to generate new knowledge. And therefore, to do that, we need to perform R&I. So research is therefore done to enhance innovation and provide solutions that threatens humanity. So most, if not all, lecturers um, are motivated by the fact that, you know, before you die, before you close your eyes, finally, you would like to make a difference in the world. That would be a dream, right? But to make that difference, is basically to create uh, an impact. And one way that you can create an impact is to provide solutions to the SDGs or to provide solutions to the OMA, right? And how we do this? We can do this by injecting 
research um, basically uh, values, research values uh, so that the R&I outcomes are meant for public good. So as we move to humanization edge um, and lessons learned from COVID, taught us that basically we need to now, when we do research, the outcome that we do, the, uh, the kind of results that we produce must place emphasis on human values and human life actually, democracy, social justice, inclusion, um, uh, reduction uh, of uh, uh, in remote, reduce the inequity divide. Okay, so in short, right, the Islamic things of having sympathy, empathy, compassion, right, basically to make a difference uh, needs to be there for SDGs and also for the Omar. So to do that, we need to basically collaborate and work together in a multidisciplinary or transdisciplinary manner by integrating science, technology, arts, and humanities to provide basically a holistic and dynamic solution to humanity. And to do that, we need to collaborate and undergo convergence of knowledge when producing uh, solutions to problems of humanity. And that basically is in line and also aligned to the shared prosperity vision 2030 of the country. And uh, basically, um, the shared prosperity vision also requests that knowledge needs to be transformed. Yeah? Knowledge should not just remain in publications or remain in books, but it needs to be transformed to make a difference uh, to humanity. And basically, uh, if you don't have the time to read all this, it's important just to see that the knowledge-based, uh, we are looking for knowledge-based uh, economy with high value, and there must be community participation. We would like to address wealth and income disparities, all right, to reduce the inequity divide. And we want a united, prosperous, and dignified nation to make Malaysia united, prosperous, and dignified, and to be the economic center for Asia. So even um, uh, if we look at uh, shared prosperity vision of the country, the country is looking for impact. So if that is the case, um, COVID-19 uh, pandemic basically has taught us that in order for the country to remain resilient, we need science to power our economy post-COVID-19, right? And to ensure Malaysia remains competitive globally, the government continues the efforts. Every RMK, yeah, the government continues to mainstream uh, science, technology, and innovation as a driver of economic growth in its transformation plans, right? So this hopefully will enable Malaysia to become a high-tech nation by 2030 and a developed country based on knowledge as well as competitiveness. But with the rapid change in technology, with disruptive technology brought by Industry 4.0, we basically need to instill innovation in our industries in order to move productivity and also to enhance societal well-being. Is, is that the case? This is why I say sometimes, you know, um, a lot of the times lecturers will say, you know, yeah, I think we're doing so much already. You know, our industry, is, the part of our industry, they are not the one that is uh, moving the area. So bottom line, I when, when we talk about something, it's better that you show evidence. What is actually happening in the country? And evidence if provided by third party is even better because sometimes when evidence provided by you, many people will not believe it. So if you look at the innovation imperative, this is the overview by World Bank, and this is done in December of 2020, so just last year, December. 
What we see here is for the first time, World Bank actually look at what is the innovation that is happening with our industries and compare to the East, uh, in East ASEAN countries. So Malaysia is compared to China, Philippines, Cambodia, Mongolia, Vietnam, Myanmar, Laos, Indonesia, and Thailand. And this orange bar shows that uh, when we talk about innovation, um, this, about, this is innovation, that means in the process of innovation, um, yeah, the last decade, uh, innovasi yang berlaku. So that means this Malaysia is quite good in that, you know, in the process. They never change the uh, final product, but the process of producing that product, they do make some changes. So this is called, this is the orange thing. But what's very important, if truly we want to become a high technician in by 2030, we need to be producing our own companies that have our own indigenous technology, people. And what we are seeing here, amat memalukan dalam semua all these countries, right? Look at the blue bar. Malaysia is the lowest. Despite all the money, the grant money that the government is now giving for us to do R&D, all right? We are the lowest among all the East Asia. I mean, Myanmar pun lebih tinggi daripada kita. Hello. So this, this and Laos, you know, as far as indigenous technology, right? And this is... Um, percent of firms that spend. Of course, if you don't have your own engineers technology, how can the firms spend uh, money on R&D? We are not. And that's why 98% of Malaysia's company are still SME. Um, but if you look at how good we are at bringing in, adopting and adapting outside technology and uh, make it like into Malaysia, very high. So we are very good at adopting and adapting outside technology, but very poor in producing our own uh, indigenous technology. This is simply not on if a country wants to now move to become a high-tech nation. We gotta be like Korea with, uh, with their own like LG, Samsung, uh, you know, this is this, this the kind uh, that we need to uh, have, right? So we cannot afford to continue with weak academia industry linkage. And this innovation chasm that is between the knowledge generator and um, uh, uh, and the users of knowledge. Knowledge generators are people like us in the university and users of knowledge are the industry and the community. There is a big gap, all right? And this is called the innovation chasm. This is happening since six Malaysia plan again. The government has recognized that the largest source of R&D wealth actually came from the public universities, right? The public sector. But unfortunately, everything is remaining here. It is not transferred to the industry. Uh, and this is also a report by the World Bank that unfortunately, there is no or lack of transfer. And as a result, indigenous technology um, that is now discovered by the public sectors, which is mainly the public universities, are not basically transferred to the um, industry, nor is it transferred to the community. So the innovation has resulted in economic disparity and a lack of impact. And therefore, we need more engagement between academia and industry in a collaborative manner. And we also need a policy from higher education to now say all vice chancellors make sure the KPI of the university is to actually link academia with industry and not just simply say, oh, we must do academia industry linkage, but the KPI is something else. So, and when KPI down to the VC is something, the VC will cascade that KPI also to the lecturers and as a result, you find that promotion is not due to academia industry linkage, but promotion is due to publication. 
So there is a need to create seamlessness between R&D priorities and economic development. In short, there must be a policy. If not at KPT, there must be a policy for MOSTI or somewhere that can now link R&D priority to economy. Only then can we now create an impact. So the question that you need to ask is that if this is known since six major plan, why do we now continue to allow this to happen? So this is the question. Now to connect basically academia to industry and move knowledge and innovation-based economy, we need um, to do research with um, outputs of publication, number of graduates, etc. But more importantly, also with the creation of outcome. The problem is that we stop here, but we did not move to the creation of outcome or impact. So COVID-19 has taught us that for the economy to survive and recover, it has to be powered by technology. So, but we need to work in a collaborative ecosystem with new business model and constant foresight to remain competitive. Therefore, if you ask me where is research heading for the future, it is going to be impact-driven research. This is the way forward to move Malaysia's high-tech industry and at the same time enhance the quality of life of the rakyat, which is high-touch. Malaysia's high-tech industry, high-tech, high high-touch, right? So with the rakyat. So impact-driven is research results that have gone beyond academia. This is something that you must realize because all this while, Everything you do, you are working within the academia community, but it now has to go beyond academia. It has to go to the community and it must be demonstrable. So impact is not about how to develop the vaccine, about finding what is the discovery of the biomarker. This is more of fundamental research, FRGS, to make the vaccine. But impact is now about whether the newly uh, developed vaccine was able to reduce the spread of the disease among the population. So this is now more results driven. And usually there are two types of research um, impact that we see, um, academic impact and socio-economic impact. So in academic impact, this is the same old, same old that we've been doing uh, with, uh, uh, with the publications and, and, uh, and, uh, and journals and writing of books and uh, how many graduate students that we produce, et cetera. But we need to now go for socio-economic impact, and this must be outside of the area of academia. So when we talk about academic impact, yeah, this is usually demonstrable contribution to academic impact include the dissemination of knowledge via the conferences that you attend locally and internationally, the publication that you do, um, the impact factor or no impact factor, and then the, the research group seminars that you do. So the above activities, are uh, some things that you can come, but are they enough to create a tangible change in society or economy of the country, right? And uh, this is not enough. Why? Because everything that you do here, what, where do you present this conference? Where do you publish this? And who reads this and deliver all this? All these are within the academic community. It does not go beyond academia. So post-COVID-19, finally, we have an online webinar like today, whereby uh, when you share this on the Facebook, um, then a lot of the public can listen to what I have to say and not just people who register for the conference. Now, ada juga hikmah from COVID-19, uh, di mana um, all various talks now is online and people cannot be listening in uh, and showing. And basically now we're showing democratization of knowledge. What I need to emphasize is what Einstein had to say not everything that comes
can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So this is something that we need to see in relation when we talk about impact. So if that is the case, ladies and gentlemen, why do in the university, why do we continue to do academic impact? Because very simple, it's very convenient, easier to do, easier to measure, easy to write annual reports, uh, easy to report to KPI to the uh, to the ministry. It's an easy thing, yeah. But doing something intangible is banyak leche, and that is something that uh, um, uh, uh, administrators do not like to do. So, and therefore, it's easier to say just merits for promotion are still by means of publication. But the question is, as a university, who are we trying to educate? Are we educate? Are we just educating the peers? Or are we educating the public or are we educating the students? Actually, it's both peers, public, and also students, right? So most of the time, when asked regarding impact, we will show expected impact, not real impact. Like, for example, if the vaccine is expected to reduce the spread of disease by XX because we did this in the lab, right? And we did a small sample and we say, yeah, this is what it is. But essentially, it's not being test run the way it is now being done uh, in the world with the first population. So if we continue to do this, the rakyat will not benefit from the research that we do. To them, we have not yet created a sustainable change in their life, nor livelihood. So basically, Usim will not be a nadi to nilai, nor to ampang, if, if this is not done in terms of impact. So industries also do not benefit from the research that you do. So let us be reminded that as researchers, our responsibility or amana as knowledge generator is basically to contribute and enhance wealth creation and societal well-being. So we need to create knowledge for change. That is the key word now, not just simply knowledge, but knowledge for change. And we need both the impact factor and real impact to do so. So perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to decouple, right? The mentality must be there to decouple research impact and university excellence for better outcomes, right? This single-minded pursuit of ranking-driven research measures, um, uh, when, we, when we have that and the university is going towards that as far as recognition is concerned, we not only risk compromising on quality education, but also on delivering research impact that matters. So this was um, is a quote that I brought from uh, STAR 16 May uh, on Teacher's Day done by Professor Elizabeth Lee the CEO of Sangwe Education Group, right? Because all this while, when we talk about uh, ranking and we are moving the university towards ranking, ranking does not cater very much for teaching and learning. And yet that is the true north of the university. How do we educate the future generation of Malaysia? So basically in Malaysia, we already are quite brilliant in the sense that we have Myra for R&D and we have Satara for academic. But of course, there are clever people who say, let's combine them together supaya kita tidak kelab WhatsApp and we just do once. Uh, yang ni senang. Again, senang for administrator but essentially clouding the issue of what should be the true north of a university. So we should not talk about research excellence because research excellence is research with impact. And sometimes with impact, you're deviating from you moving up in the ranking. But university excellence is about teaching and learning, and we concentrate very much on the just the um, on the um, uh, university ranking. 
then teaching is just left behind. And yet, this is very important because it's no longer about teaching, it's now about learning. How do we make the future generation learn? So this is now things that need to now uh, be looked into. So in terms of socioeconomic impact, this is imperative that we perform impactful research in the real world rather than simply within the academic community. And this is the responsibility or amana of universities and academia to help with Malaysia's economic recovery plan. We need to now provide real impact and not just expected impact. And that would mean that we need to work with the quadrupolitics. We need to work with the academia, industry, government, civil society, right? And to do that again, calls for integrated collaborative research approach via community engagement that will provide the impact that matters since we are providing real impact solutions to those in need. And this is what I mean by bringing research solution to the community. And research excellence must go beyond the academic community to give wide-ranging impact to a broader society. And only then can we now achieve knowledge for change. And this is the word, uh, um, community engagement. It means libat sama community, not community involvement, as what I'm reading in the USIM website. So basically, uh, community engagement, ladies and gentlemen, is a two-way street. You transfer knowledge, at the same time, you need assimilation of knowledge as well. It is a two-way street. As much as we bring solution to the community, we also learn from the community because as the African proverb says, it takes a whole village to educate a child. It's not just about learning in the classroom. It's also learning from the environment, from the community. So this is where we say humility is very important that we do a two-way street and not knowledge transfer. Knowledge transfer is I know everything. I therefore transfer this knowledge to you. So there's a lot of things that um, if whoever is in charge of Libat Sama community uh, should now have a proper, correct perspective of what community engagement is all about. And that is why community engagement is part of the education, higher education blueprint, bukan community involvement, community engagement. This is where we provide how to use the fishing rod and not just give the fish. Okay, it is not the job of the university. Boleh lah, university nak pergi bawa perah, tepung, uh, gula, masuk kampung. Uh, ni. So, uh, okay, you can do that. That's community service. Alright, but that's not what university is all about. When university goes into a village or kampung, it's about to teach them how to do things so that when you leave, alright, then uh, people will now benefit from the knowledge that you have imparted to them. So this is now uh, more important than just provide the fish. Yeah? Because if the day you no longer provide the fish, then the villagers will basically die because they're still waiting for you for food. right? So you got to teach them to be independent. After all, that's what the university is all about. And therefore, the impact of this community engagement is actually like economic transformation of the community, which is easier to measure, but more important is the experiential learning on values and character building as we now, uh, for the staff as well as for students, as they now go into the community and start to create a sustainable change because these are uh, intangibles like attributes that you now need to see uh, happening, right? But beyond that, uh, of course, um, every time I give this talk, the lecturers will still ask me, so how, how can we measure impact? So the impact can be measured at least by 10 indicators of change. Satu, 
If you come in before, there was no understanding or awareness about subject X and S B. And when you leave, there's now increased understanding and awareness. That is also one way to measure impact. Second is change in attitude. Or very simple is, of course, economic uh, change. Uh, also social change or cultural change or policy change. Or do you see an enhanced health and well-being after you have come in? Um, or do you begin to see decision-making behavior change? among the people in the in the in the village or something like that. Uh, and do you see now capacity of preparedness? Do you see an environmental change? So these are some of the indicators uh, that you can use uh, to measure uh, impact. But in reality, right, in reality, if you ask the lecturers, um, where are we? Uh, basically, we are here, right? Uh, most you are given KPI and uh, in terms of research, you have to do grants, you have to do, uh, get grant, do graduate supervision, write journals, papers, produce prototype. And by the time you do all that, you get very tired already. And yet the role of academic or your amana is actually generator of knowledge, dissemination of knowledge and translation of knowledge to translation ni ada dua, satu kepada community and satu lagi kepada industry. So, kepada industry is business enterprise and kalau uh, this is for creating wealth for the country but to the community is about uh, enhancement of societal well-being. So, again, when you basically you need to persevere and pass through this and go now to the next gate which is the commercialization gate that uh, with field trials and uh, clinical trials and field testing that and, and of course the production of patents and this uh, in order for you to now deliver the KIP, right? So basically you need perseverance to continue to do this. And again, uh, even for those um, yang lemah semangat ni, memang sentiasa tired uh, every time you have to do this. So you gotta be more cekal because if you want to now be a successful lecturer that has actually um, done and delivered the amanah that is given to you. So basically for the first time, in order to make sure uh, uh, that academia and industry work together, that the ISTI priority for R&D is now linked to socio-economic development. So for the first time, the national STI policy uh, for the country, which is launched on December 8, 2020, officially links science and technology driver to socio-economic driver for value creation. So to make this work and the how to glue uh, this together and, and create impactful research is by 1010 Malaysian STIE framework. So basically the 1010 um, My STIE framework, you can download the book. Uh, there are more than 3,000 people already downloading the book and this 1010 My STIE now, UK, US, or Australia, all are asking about 1010. Uh, how? So that they can also create that kind of thinking. Uh, China especially, uh, in, in the, their countries as well. So the concept and idea of 1010 My STIE is mooted by Academy of Sciences, which so I'm very proud of that, and it's approved by the National Science Council in February 2020, approved by Cabinet in August of 2020, and launched as, um, as a policy for the country in December 8, 2020. This, I think, is among the fastest that I've seen uh, to go from February to December uh, from, uh, of course, thinking itself about 1010 um, takes some time, about one or two years. But to come, well, once this uh, gone to the National Science Council chair by the Prime Minister um, uh, by December 
February, then by December it is already launched and it is now part of, inshallah, part of the um, RMK12. So it's very important that to see lecturers understand about 1010 because that's where the funds are coming. Uh, even today, the funds from Malaysia Grand Challenge is to realize the 1010 My FDIE. So essentially, you're going to ask me like, what exactly is this 1010 My FDIE? Uh, basically, how do we derive at the 1010? Uh, basically, we did the study of um, emerging science engineering technology by ASM, and we found uh, this is foresight uh, uh, study um, uh, that we do uh, from uh, up to 2050 to see what kind of technologies will be there up to 2050. Uh, we, uh, we find that there are about 94 technologies. I mean, since you don't even remember what you ate last night, how do you remember 94 technologies? So basically, we then say, okay, let's now align it to the national priority. Let's look at the research capability of our lecturers, analyze the emerging and declining technologies, especially the global patent analysis, because we need to know uh, from the global patent analysis, it's not about the patent attained, but rather the patent file, because that will show you what are the technology that people are now filing, and that will be the technology of the future. So when we do all that, that's how we come to 10 technologies. So the 94 technologies can now be clustered into 10 technologies, right? And basically, um, uh, these 10 technologies are 5G, 6G. Let's not talk 4G now. This is 5G, 6G. Sensor technology, 4D, 5D printing, advanced material, advanced intelligence system, cyber security, uh, that, uh, augmented analytics and data discovery, blockchain, neurotechnology and bioscience technology. So basically anybody working on biotech, uh, you are safe because under bioscience technology is all covered here. And, and driving this 10 technology is not something to be quibble about because this will be the science and technology that will be there for the future. That if our industry is now working on this technology, inshallah the industry will still be sustainable up to at least 2050. And driving what? So we say now post-COVID-19, uh, there are 10 Malaysia socio-economic driver that will deliver a fast post-economic recovery. And one is energy, uh, business, uh, culture, arts and tourism, medical and healthcare, smart uh, technology uh, system, next generation engineering for manufacturing, smart cities and transportation, water and food, agriculture, education, environment uh, and biodiversity. So this, uh, and how do you use this 1010? So a lot of times, uh, every time I ask, dah pernah dengar? Dengar dah. Bila nak suruh apply? Uh, wallahi. So basically, uh, uh, what this is about is that if you are working, okay, how do you read this? Huh? If you do a horizontal analysis, uh, if you are a center of excellence and working on 5G or 6G, basically that technology can drive any of the 10 socio-economic driver energy boleh finance boleh culture boleh medical boleh etc etc so uh, and but in order to make this technology work you gotta move fundamental and apply it together this 1010 is not about just driving applied it's about fundamental to drive applied to the next level right so this um in order to do all this, it also means that you got to work collaborative. This is not just uh, USIM alone. It has to be USIM with other universities as well in order to deliver the 5G, 6G. All right? And working on all these aspects means this has to go beyond USIM already. It has to be a collaborative effort 
among universities, among the region, uh, and also among industries and working on the photophilics. And however, if you want to work on vertical analysis, that means you feel for example, to work on agriculture and forestry, all this ten technology is needed in order to drive the agriculture industry. And again, we are looking now for return of value and not just return of investment, ROI, 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 where is value? So basically we need to see return of values as well. So this is where now you have to work with integration of knowledge with the, uh, all the various disciplines, sciences and other disciplines all come together in order to provide solution to agriculture. So basically, how do you use the 1010? I have put all the 10 technologies here. So basically, if you now um, uh, don't want to think and you just say, okay, if you want to catch up uh, on agriculture, because uh, we have, uh, if you buy, if you buy, but if you download the book, all the 10 areas, socioeconomic area will have this map. They will be, uh, Academy has already done what are the things that need, we need in order just to catch up with the world. So we need drone animal precision farming or smart plants with embedded biosensors or what. Basically, each white thing that you see here is a big cluster that you need to work on. This is not about providing solution to all of this, but filling any of this solution that will be. But you can also do your own. This is just telling you, if you want to catch up, we need drone enabled precision farming. Kalau mati akai tak tahu macam anak mula, so at least this is the, uh, without thinking, we'll be telling you drone enabled precision farming. To do that, you need to combine technology 1, 5G, 6G, technology 5, which is advanced intelligence system, and technology 7, which is data analytic. That's how you read this. So these numbers here, bukan nombor echo, tetapi adalah nombor teknologi, ya? 6, 9, and 10, if you want to do enhanced control. But if you want to leapfrog the, the, the area of agriculture, we need to go on automated precision farming, machine-to-machine -machine communication via 6G network. InsyaAllah takkan berlaku lah sebab we don't even have the 6G yet. But this is where the R&D is needed in order for us to be able to catch up. So these are areas that we show to you um, that you need uh, in order to move agriculture to the next level. Uh, and if you want to now be able to leapfrog the technology. And whatever you develop here, if possible, ask the question, how can agriculture and forestry innovation that we now do be integrated to other sectors as well? Like for example, drone, uh, which is uh, probably in the engineering, can now be used in medicine because now we can use drone technology um, to now find uh, people who are trapped in the mountains, etc. And and uh, or drone can now be used to spray uh, pesticide, etc. So now you see how the drone technology from engineering is now transferred to a lot of the other sectors as well. So the spillover is something that we look forward to. Like for example, if you use artificial intelligence. Uh, to drive the rubber plantations in China. So all this is now you see there are no workers necessary and the artificial intelligence is there. You just tune it and uh, they, they actually um, produce the latex. They cut the bark at a precise manner at the right time with the sensors to tell what, uh, temperature, climate, when is the best time for latex. But we in Malaysia, Makcik akan keluar, pakcik akan keluar pagi selepas subuh. We don't know, don't care whether the weather is and the climate and the temperature is good enough at that time to have the best amount of latex 
to yield latex, right? But here with all the sensors, they will tell you, and this is when the machine actually does the cutting. See how fine the cut is being done so that the tree is not, um, about, uh, you don't destroy the tree. So, and all these now, uh, the rubber is collected here and all these can now go straight to the repository. So you no longer need any human being to run this. The human being is waiting in the factory to actually do more things with the rubber. So this is how artificial intelligence can now be used to drive the rubber plantation in China. Um, and this is all remote control, right? You don't have to be there. Um, and we then show to you there are uh, niche areas, simply cannot be in any area you could call you, uh, but this is in the 10 niche area. So like, for example, in energy, at least three niche areas are here in medicine, uh, digital health, precision medicine, and clinical trial. Uh, um, in, for agriculture, we're looking at high value seafood, premium, uh, local agriculture, um, and, and all that. So is, these are all approved already by the National Science Council, and this will be the first one that will go up. So basically working on this area uh, will allow you to get the grants under RNK12 uh, or even currently under Malaysian Grant Challenge. So these are the niche area, and these niche areas will be reviewed every two or three years to make sure Malaysia catch up with the world market. But I would like, since you are Usim, I would like to share with you how we use the 1010 actually to drive the halal industry in the country. Basically, the same thing, the technologies are here and halal, yeah? Um, uh, basically, if you now apply 1010 My SDIE framework for the halal supply chain, if you want to catch up with the halal supply, you can do neuromarketing of halal product or dynamic predictive digital advertising or blockchain-driven Islamic finance services, fintech, virtual banking, all these are uh, FEM, probably they're not combined together dengan, uh, uh, from the IT in the group, end-to-end uh, -end halal compliance and traceability via blockchain. So all these ideas that Academy has put together is something that Usim can think about and uh, after that start to work on and make it even better. But again, these are the technologies that we need, we see you need in order to put this. So meaning to say, it is not there in Usain. You got to work with the universities and the labs uh, that have this. So that is what I mean by collaborative. And this is where now your TNC, PNI, your RMC, whatever, the, the connectivity that they have with the other universities so that you now know which labs in Malaysia is doing this and so that you can now get together with that lab. All right, and then if you now want to leapfrog in terms of halal, uh, we can use IoT sensor using nanoparticles and biosensor for rapid halal authentication along the supply chain. But this is something that already uh, is in the pipeline and, and people around the world who are working on halal is already moving this. Uh, it's just that Malaysia is not able to catch up as yet. So basically, again, for the halal, it's important to see whether it can spill over whatever we have, because whatever we have in terms of traceability in blockchain can also be used for the culture. We can use halal hotels, uh, for tourism, etc., etc. So there are many things that we can do here. And basically, uh, Academy, we are trying also to propose for the global hal halal super corridor to be uh, happening, right? Because this will be a game changer for Malaysia. Like for example, if you see now blockchain, this is the key to traceability within the supply chain so that now you can see where and how we get all the materials uh, that is needed to make sure that at the end of the day, halal toiban is there. 
So we must remember we are now number one as far as halal is concerned. But countries like US, Japan, Korea uh, is already coming in big time. Australia into halal business, all right? And this is a multi-billion dollar, a trillion dollar industry uh, for halal in the future. So basically, they're already using blockchain and we are still going from place to place uh, verifying. So that's why I, I say that uh, we need to move big time uh, on, on halal and do it differently. So basically, the halal we find is the game changer for Malaysia. After doing the 10-10, my SDA, come on, we are from academic science. So academic science, when we look at it, we ask the question, what will be the game changer for Malaysia? Alhamdulillah, what came out is actually halal. And, and basically, you can start with energy uh, for the 10 socioeconomic needs. Uh, energy for have ethical and clean energy. Uh, you can uh, go for business uh, uh, and finance services with the fintech, uh, blockchain for green suku, etc. Uh, you can read through this culture, medical, especially halal vaccine, medical therapies, and nutraceuticals, all making it to be halal. That is another one towards Sharia compliant. Smart technology system, again, all these things, water and food, memanglah to make sure that there is halal all the way. Agriculture, forestry, and Nemo Nakli and Akli applies in agriculture, applies everywhere. How do we maintain halal Toriban? So basically, all this have shown to us a strong halal ecosystem in Malaysia will translate into several multiplier impact. Uh, impacts on the socio-economic drivers. So basically, when we studied um, the 1010 my SDIE, what we found that the game changer for Malaysia is actually using the halal and the strong halal ecosystem will translate into several spillover impact. In fact, semua technology ini boleh digunakan untuk drive the Malaysia socio-economic driver that can create uh, the halal ecosystem. Like for example, uh, halal vaccine, um, the Islamic culture, and arts for tourism for Islamic countries, including medical tourism and all that. And we find that all this in the halal will spawn new sectors, increasing revenue and enhancing return on value for the rakyat. So in Malaysian halal certification incorporate the global environmental and ethical standards, Malaysia certainly will build its global competitive advantage because we have a very good reputation as far as halal is concerned. And with 1010 My SDIE, it's not enough just to do this in the lab. We have to bring the innovation to the localities. And in order to do that, there's a lot of thinking the academy has done. Because before any product can take, uh, can take off, you have to see whether the ecosystem area is okay or not. So this is where we show you where the universities are, etc. So if you want to move halal, uh, it's very important that you move to the area that we have identified where halal can now take off. So if you download the book, uh, you can study that uh, uh, better, right? So the 1010 uh, My SDIE in every location will actually move each of the socioeconomic sectors up the value chain. So in order to realize all this to happen, Mosti Dasabiyakan, Malaysia Grand Challenge Grant Scheme, uh, which will now uh, cover for all the 10 uh, niche areas, uh, sorry, 10 drivers, uh, uh, socio-economic driver, and that's uh, about 222 million uh, that is now there to move the Malaysia Grand Challenge. So, before I end, let me talk a little bit about research opportunity at UCIM. This is 
thinking uh, about Usim uh, and uh, and this is my suggestion uh, to Usim. Uh, basically, always uh, when you want to move forward any university, you got to ask the question. This is not a question that you have to ask post-COVID-19, right? Um, you have to ask this uh, question now, what is so unique about Usim? Because now it's a, uh, it's a highly competitive, if you want to ask the foreign students to come or anybody to come either by online or whatever, you got to find out what is so unique about Usim. Why would I want to go to Usim? All right, so therefore you got to ask about what is the strategic differentiator for Usim? So if you ask me, uh, having been in Usim before, and now in UIA, I, I would have to say that the integration of NACLI and ACLI knowledge is a strategic differentiator that moves USIM to the next level. Because um, if uh, um, College Genius uh, is listening, um, the curriculum that College Genius have now uh, incorporated for curriculum on Islamic science to, to generate the future uh, Muslim technocrats, hopefully the future Nobel laureates, are uh, basically the curriculum the first in the world. I don't know that Usain realized this or not, but from our point of view, when we have ISTIC and we have the people from Morocco coming in to evaluate college, Masatu, Hormata, Insan, and they evaluated the curriculum and the report uh, given to the ministry um, is that this is the first in the world curriculum. So it's very important that Usain uh, actually get the, the students uh, from college juniors, hopefully when they have a PhD, when they come back from anywhere so that they can also become a lecturer at USIM, if not a lecturer at ISI, because they will be the student who is very much um, uh, has been trained in the integrity of Ilmu Nakli and Nakli. The current Bansharah at USIM, I don't think so, because all of you uh, come back from your different discipline, for Asuna's discipline, yeah, medical discipline, yeah, dental discipline, yeah, nobody is teaching you about integrity in Munakli and Akli, but the students from college um, uh, genius are actually the ones that is the benefit benefactor for the things that is put together. Secondly, of course, being an Islamic university, you are values-based education that you cannot forget. Huh? You are values-based, uh, virtual, uh, virtuous uh, to create uh, whatever that you want. The third thing that is uniquely yours is Islamic science, all right? So again, that I see. And the uh, whenever we wanted to defend before when I was there, I uh, wanted to defend even for the hospital for Usim. Uh, of course, the ministry, the EPU will ask, what is the difference between a hospital Usim and a hospital uh, daripada university, university line? Why should we now fund the hospital for Usim? Well, my answer was that it is about the Shalian Compliant Hospital, which we don't have. So this is the word, you know, buzzword that Usim should already know if you want to defend to you, to make you different, to make you a strategic differentiator. So Shalian Compliant. And the last one that I would like to suggest is to move Halal Science under ISI or under Usim because we don't have people in Halal Science to drive the Halal industry. And if we don't have the Halal Science, we cannot catch up. The halal industry from Malaysia simply cannot catch up uh, with what's happening with the competition that is happening in the world. Upper difference, yeah, though, uh, everybody who is in medicine or in health or in uh, science and technology, FST, um, whatever, whatever that you do, just think towards Sharia compliant, towards halal, making sure it's halal toiban, 
that in terms of thinking itself will now change whatever we do now towards halal, uh, uh, halal, yeah, and move the halal industry. So that is me, and therefore my suggestion is to have the integration of Imunakli and Akli, whereby uh, actually in Usim you have uh, three tracks: the Islamic studies, the Quran, and the Sunnah, and then we have the Islamic, uh, the arts, the social science, and the humanities. And then we have the Islamic science, engineering, technology, um, health, medicine, dental, and architecture. Perhaps all these things in abbreviation But this excellence in the three tracks, if we talk about multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, or even transdisciplinary, and moving towards Sharia compliant, bukan nak kata Sharia compliant lagi, moving towards pun, insyaAllah you will be ahead already. Um, halal science to drive halal industry and uh, of course uh, on the platform of Islamic science inshallah uh, maybe what you aim for to be a high impact global Islamic science university by 2022 uh, is something that perhaps is achievable and I hope to remind uh, that global means offering local solution to answer global problems, right? So basically, you only have to do the research once. It's not like doing research for Umar Lane or doing research for uh, local line. If you were to do that, that means the research uh, quality is not there yet. Basically, like if I were to do on diagnostics, whatever diagnostics that I do will probably solve the solution in Malaysia, but whatever country under typhoid will also benefit from that. So this is what we mean by local providing local solution to answer global problems, right? So that is uh, uh, what Usain wanted to be as I read in your um, uh, website. But basically, I, I like to bring back um, this. I like this slide. This, this is a slide that I use all the time when I was at Usain. Um, and I like the word from Gontor yeah, that I picked up. Hidup hanya sekali, biarlah ia berhenti. So that to me is powerful uh, in terms of uh, creating impact. And I've always used finally Islamic science where we spearhead knowledge because this will be new knowledge, um, new perspective when we start to approach it via integration of Imunakli and Aki. So ladies and gentlemen, I end by, by saying my prayers for Usim so that it can now be a distinguished, uh, wrong spelling here, distinguished Islamic Science University that can transform and create value for the country, Omar and humanity. That to me is uh, more powerful uh, in terms of where uh, Usim can now be heading towards. So with that, thank you very much. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And Selamat Hari Raya, Aidil Fitri. Alright, uh, MashaAllah, Barakallah. Uh, thank you, thank you very much, Prof. Datuk, for the eagle eye. Bird eye inspirational sharing, right? Especially you have everything about Usim and has given us some suggestions that strategic differentiator, right? Uh, what Usim is and was supposed to be. Right? I've seen uh, our audiences from uh, KGI, <laughs> right? So, somewhat uh, product has summoned their names. I was expecting they, they are posting some chats, uh, uh, some questions on chat, but, uh, right. I think it's quite overwhelming for some. So I'll just allow some lag time for questions to be posted. I'm looking forward to it's not here, it's not there yet. So I'll just um maybe uh 
the thing is a keyword that has uh, put us uh, put uh, on the table right is out of silo we have to collaborate so even if it's not there in Usim, you just have to find it uh, it's like to you, you just have to match the thing needed right the thing needed uh, in in the drive for knowledge for change right 10 to 10 my STIE is a mapping which have been done by the Academy of Science. We're so thankful of the Academy. And as Dr. I said, this is the fastest so-called like policy that has been uh, endorsed by the government from February 2020, December 2020. So 10 months, right? It's quite uncommon for, for the government has been able to do such thing. All right. Uh, and... It's our social responsibility as now post-COVID outbreak is uh, outbreak anywhere, is a risk everywhere. We are in this situation, uh, MCO, and it's going to be BKPDKPD back again, right? So you just have to like uh, open up your uh, uh, perspectives towards doing research, right? Because it's all about the Amana of an Islamic university and the Khalifa Hindu, right? The Khalifa Hindu. Right, and uh, Alhamdulillah, because uh, as Dato has mentioned, our government has uh, already put aside uh, 1.04% of the GDP for RNI, right? And um, and one of it is in, in the area I've, I've picked up uh, from within this uh, COVID uh situation that uh, this Italian prihatin, right? Uh, to really uh, get to uh, our B40s, uh, be able to get to uh, to acquire the uh, uh, connection, uh, internet connection, now no more 4G, 5G to 60, you know? All right, so that's the area of, of research that you need to, to really venture into. And I am very sure when we talk about this and I start to as, uh, put up this overwhelming, immense, uh, immense areas that should be uh, picked up. Okay, then those uh, people in Quran and Sunnah will like so <laughs> overwhelmed with it, right? And then where do I fit in? <laughs> where do I fit in? So that I mentioned, it's right from the fundamental, right? Right from the fundamental up to up to the high high end technology. So yeah. that's where the whole. Uh, so-called uh, pipeline of the of the research uh, RNI that needs to be to be gated. All right, and I've uh, remembered actually I posted somewhere uh, on the things that uh, because because we have seen this asset okay, the emerging science and technology before when uh, at KGI, uh, Prof. Jeffrey Mali has uh, Prof. Jeffrey Mali has uh, already. Um, Shown us the slide on the STI, right? On the on the sorry on the asset, and I've in two thousand seventeen, I'm mistaken, and I've uh, they, he has told Pramati Insan that neuroscience is an independent, integrated field. Okay, for Pramati Insan or for Genius Insan to to prospect. And Alhamdulillah, many of the Pramati Insan students has uh came to have neuroscience in mind, neuropsychology, brain mapping, up to identifying the relationship between speed of hafazan 
and it's disjunction with mathematical logics among with their colleague, uh, among their colleague right, to set their research endeavor. So we can see the future there. <laughs> it's part <laughs> so, and then. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so uh, I'm so uh, excited to see the the, the prospect, the future uh, from KGI. So I really like. I really like to to find okay ah there's a question uh from from the audience alright uh in your opinion Lato, okay why is it Malaysia has a very low innovative product output okay from Liana Azmi yeah uh, um thank you for the question essentially it's not about low innovative product output but rather low uh indigenous uh technology output. So basically, um, uh, innovative product here is using our own technology. And I think I have already um, explained uh, the reason uh, why we have that is because uh, of the innovation hazard. Mm. Um, that uh, most of the patent, the most of the ideas to create into indigenous technology lies with the public sector, which is the university. But the lecturers do not... Um, about uh, bawa transfer that because of the lack of uh, that's what we mean by innovation chasm the lack of academia industry linkage so when uh, we are not working with the industry we basically prefer just to publish about the technology and we don't work um, uh, with the industry then the industry do not benefit from that uh, technology that we have discovered so because of that uh, that is why uh, we have a low um, uh, uh, innovative uh, product output that is of indigenous technology. But uh, as far as product using uh, adaptive uh, technology that we bring uh, the technology from foreign and then we put it together, uh, banyak, very high. You see Malaysia is among the highest uh, um, that we show uh, in that World Bank uh, analysis. Malaysia is among the highest. So we have money to actually bring uh, other people's technology and then put together, but uh, our own, uh, we, and we don't do that. And one of the reasons for the innovation chasm is the lack of trust between academia and industry. And that is something I think that needs to be um, uh, uh, remedied uh, quite fast. And uh, I mean, every branch of every university is there uh, in terms of your um, holdings and stuff, all that to be able to allow uh, the working with the industry. Uh, but for some reason, um, well, most of us are not familiar and that's why we are not working in the industry. And that is why uh, in the transformation of the university, we have already encouraged university to hire lecturers from the industry. So that mindset, they are going to um, and that, uh, or even uh, have adjunct lecturer from the industry so that dapat uh, apa, uh, memberi manfaat sedikit tentang um, uh, apa, um, uh, apa, manfaat lah tentang bagaimana um, we should now be thinking when we are designing our research so that uh, it is, uh, can benefit the industry as well. So itulah um, because of that innovation chasm, and that is why uh, I think when we presented this to the National Science Council, ministers were also asking, you know, uh, for a top-down, uh, enough is enough lah. Uh, that academia continue to not to work with the industry, the lack of trust, enough is enough. So basically, how do we make it? How do we make that work? And that's why the Malaysia Grand Challenge Grant 
is there to realize ten ten my SDIE. So maknanya you now have fundamental and then you now have Malaysia Grand Challenge fundamental daripada uh, apa FRGS mo daripada uh, KPT and then you have now Malaysia Grand Challenge MGC daripada MOSTI so that you can now uh, create um, this uh, apa uh, remember fundamental is technology readiness level 1 to 2 alright and then starting from 3 onwards sampai 9 ke 7 ke is all about uh, apa MOSTI grants so so that now you hopefully will see a seamlessness um, to to move uh, apa the product across from fundamental from the laboratory to all the way to the industry to the community so that that is the whole approach of creating that seamlessness um apa uh, in terms of doing uh, research uh, in the country at the moment okay, there's another question for mama ashari by my minister ashari Okay, with regards to academia to industry leakages issue, it seems that the public universities does not have clear policy for commercialization that can sway industry players to collaborate together. Is there a national policy that the university can refer to for its commercialization purposes? <laughs> So that's the question. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I I rasa kan daripada segi um, apa uh, uh, commercialization policy ada dah. Uh, if if you are a member of the uh, apa uh, commercialization uh, all the university kan ada um, commercialization IT policy office kan. Mm. So uh, uh, every university ada. So uh, they we have a society at uh, ministry of higher education that society of all the directors of the um uh ip policy uh, will will be together and they i think they have shared uh about commercialization policy so this is the time kalau soalan ni ada this is the time uh apa for usin to get to usm get to uh um you know to uh, be able to get a, a copy of their commercialization policy and actually um you know try to to use it collaboration because nobody is charging you for this in fact kalau tak salah you pergi check dalam USM punya website uh, uh, memang memang pun ada ada policy so that you can uh, share you can download um postgraduate policy on commercialization uh, pensyarah policy on commercialization Um, the whole university policy regarding sama ada pensyarah boleh memegang um, equity ataupun tidak semua tu dah, dah ada i mean uh, is sometimes saya worry lah pada universiti sendiri tak tak tahu tentang perkara ni uh, is you don't have to reinvent the wheel hello no need to reinvent the wheel semua universiti especially RU dah memang mantap dengan dia punya policy pinjam je Uh, masa ni lah kata abang ke kakak ke tolong share kan uh, waktu ni lah uh, and especially um, um, apa uh, USM kan uh, Datuk Musa dah bawa pergi uh, uh, sign MOU dengan uh, USM masa saya di BBC so kan dah jadi blood brothers tu uh, bila lagi? bila tak? Uh, so boleh je share so tadi saya tengok ada Datuk Musa punya soalan uh, apa Assalamualaikum Datuk, how are yeah. you? Okay, so Datuk Musa and all the gang uh, selamat hari raya. 
Mazel Batin. Okay, your opinion about trend in Malaysian SNT post COVID. Malaysian SNT post COVID. I think what we have shown uh is the uh ten ten my SDIE that will be post COVID for SNT for sure because that is already part of RMK uh twelve uh if you want uh the uh inshallah akan masukkan dalam ni inshallah so they will become part of RMK twelve. In fact now Usim ah sorry Usim but ASM is now doing more than 80 to more than 80 engagement already with various agencies, various ministries because every ministry nak tengok macam mana Tenten boleh apply to their ministry. Uh, agriculture nak tengok, apa, um, defense nak tengok. So we have to show them uh, about that has been academy work lah. since we um, uh, introduced the Tenten. Um, you know, Malaysia is very good in producing blueprints, uh, but implementation memang problem besar. So, rather than that happening and knowing that already, that's why ASM engaged. We have a lot of engagement because every little Napoleon down the line, semua kena faham tentang 1010. It's not about the bosses faham, tapi the Napoleons tak faham lagi lah apa pun tak jadi. So we are going down to even the chief ministers, the head of state, the corridors, the uh, no, the eastern northern corridor, uh, all this uh, for all the agencies um, step by step, uh, EPU, JPA, semua kita kena studiakan dan uh, dan um, apa uh, uh, engage uh, dengan dia so that more people understand. Now they are faham macam mana nak incorporate dalam dia punya policy dalam dia punya uh, apa, uh, policy important lah for them, for each ministry to now uh, make sure that this happen. So because the kefahaman tu ada, um, uh, like KKM for example, work together dengan Academy dan juga dengan KPT untuk hasilkan precision medicine. So Dato' Musa, the future, uh, apa, dalam uh, one of the future SNT is to move uh, the 1010 and one of the pro project besar yang akan move will be precision medicine. Uh, that that is one, uh, but precision biodiversity is uh, is also another one, and that's why we also are trying to move halal big time. In fact, we are moving four uh, in terms of the country. Uh, one is in halal, uh, the other under uh, in the terms of iConnect uh, halal. Uh, satu lagi is digital healthcare, um, uh, digital uh, um, for AR for manufacturing uh, and fintech. Mm -hmm. So satu lagi fintech, fintech is another one that we did the foresight. Uh, so fam, bila lagi yang pernah nak play a big role, uh, I don't know whether fam is listening or not. So um, apa uh, fintech is uh, is a is a word that you want to be able to now drive. So that's what I said, you know, Fazli, as far as I'm concerned, Kusim uh, should be able to move towards Sharia compliant or even halal, because like I said, if USM was doing halal. Ramai orang kata biar betul ni, tapi kalau macam Usim says we are doing halal, then insyaAllah Quran dan Sunnah and all those come in will make sure things are halal. But this is where Usim lacks probably the high-tech lab. So you collaborate sekarang ni dengan USM, dengan the Arus, but you did because it is a halal ke arah syariah compliant ataupun ke arah uh, halal, uh, moving halal science. So the, uh, it's not about, you know, macam Fazir kata, Nganga, uh, mana Quran dan Sunnah nak masuk dalam ni. I think Quran Sunnah plays a very big role, uh, especially when yeah. we did the formal dengan susu kambing. You know, that's a $5 million grant before. 
So, um, without Quran Sunnah, we cannot move. But we need the scientists to ask the questions so that now Quran Sunnah uh, will now be able to show uh, what is actually there, apakah hadith kata and all that. It's very important because Islamic science is, uh, premise there is different uh, when we do research compared to the normal secular uh, research. So, this, 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 uh, this is, a, that's why I say, bila uh, you, you tanya, where am I going to be able to come in? That means we are still discipline mode. We are still silo mode. Kan? Uh, masih duk tanya kat mana we can come in. But if we say we are working in a collaborative ke arah syariah compliant, ke arah uh, halal science ataupun halal peribad, that, 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 there's no problem because working together would do this. Um, and people right now, uh, RST uh, in uh, Usim should be able to collaborate dengan Quran Sunnah to produce now uh, halal uh, diagnostics ke, halal therapeutics ke, halal nutraceuticals ke. So, macam-macam yang yang boleh dilakukan. Like I said, is like for example, uh, 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 for those in medicine, um, uh, apa, uh, if you were trying to make something uh, like diagnostic, for example, and you're trying to make it to be halal, the first thing you have to see the entire process to kat mana yang ada kontaminasi uh, with porcine. Probably, uh, if you're growing the bacteria, it's probably from the media itself. So change the media to get media yang uh, apa, halal. Uh, after all, we did the uh, USM, we did the collaboration with Cuba to hasilkan uh, halal meningococcal vaccine so that we can use for pilgrimage to Mekah. Uh, and Jakin has already gone to Havana, Cuba and actually yeah. checked. And memang betul boleh dilakukan dengan cara halal because we change the media. So, but when you start thinking halal, then your procedure is just a matter of adjustment to make sure that it becomes halal. Alright, so that can be done. And, and the beauty of it is that if you work with science computer, it can blockchain the process. Then that means you trace every part tak ada uh, kontaminasi. So that's why from A to Z of that product is now going to be uh, halal toriban. So that that is the whole thinking concept yang yang sekarang kena ada. Not the same old way of doing things lah. So inshallah, I hope lah to hear soalan-soalan yang apa, how do you want to move uh, this uh, in the country. Yeah. Mm. Okay, we have we have questions from actually big big shots. <laughs> I was expecting from KGI students, right? Okay, from Prof. Sharifuddin. Uh, beyond ranking and rating of universities and the, all the boundaries and that IPT need to follow. So how to make IPT relevant in the real world? Uh, to silent. Uh, so uh, how to make it yeah. relevant? First thing is to mainstream KPI and KIP. Yeah. Saya rasa you tak boleh, uh, you tak boleh kata forget about publication, tak boleh. Publication is part of journey of quality and part of journey of excellence. So publication kena ada. Sebab saya kata lah amanah kita adalah untuk generate knowledge which is by doing research. Kita disseminate knowledge dengan cara mengajar ataupun dengan cara publication ataupun cara pilih buku. But we have to do the third one, to translate that knowledge into something beneficial sebab itulah yang diperlukan bila kita mati nanti itu yang ditanya alright uh, uh, what have you done with the knowledge that is what wisdom is all about right so so basically if we if we if we now do things right um and we say mainstream KPI and KIP itu tak payah tunggu KPT nak cakap dengan you BC pun boleh cakap dengan you hmm. right because that is the essence of a university 
So uh, janji top management agree to agree, janji pensyarah agree to agree that we want to mainstream KPI and KIP as what we do in UIA. So tak ada apa, halas. Tapi kalau nak query lagi, nak apa lagi, then you know direction of the university banyak ada dalam apa uh, dalam tangan top management. Uh, so um, what is going to be unique for Usim uh, can also be by top management to now say what is going to be unique for Usim, right? So like I said, you cannot say uh, tak payah publish, tak payah ni. It's just that jangan terlalu um, uh, apa single mindedness. Um, wanting to move ranking uh, that that you have forgotten about the true norm of what university is about. Hmm. So that's why saya kata bila kita kelabu asapkan dengan adanya follow uh, rankings, terbanyak saya rasa macam kita dah kelabu asap kita lupa sekarang ni what is the true norm of the university. The true norm university, hmm. satu is university excellent, satu lagi is research excellent. Research excellent and game dia, it has to create impact has to create impact, bukan setakat publication saja. Tapi bila kita telah berasapkan di universiti ranking dengan yang tu, then then becomes ah, an end game, age index, citation, impact factor, nampak tak? Right? So what happened to training and nurturing of uh, apa future uh, Malaysian generation yang kita nak to be uh, of good citizenry that that balance between ilmu nakli and nakli, balance between as the blueprint says, uh, apa balance between akhlak dan ilmu. That is what we need to have a future generation for Malaysia that's entrepreneurial, that's global mindset. So all the things that we would like our future generation hilang bila kita follow uh, apa terlalu terlalu follow uh, university ranking. So that's why we share prosperity, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have shared prosperity to to actually guide us and dalam dekat Malaysia kita dah pandai lah to separate between. Myra dengan setara. So, kita dah buat dah yang kita pergi follow balik, eh, hilang balik uh, jalan tu pasal apa. So, itu bagi saya uh, apa uh, uh, lies with top management tu ni. Because dia ada benda yang kita boleh tunggu KBT tapi ada benda yang within our power sendiri. And plus, KBT dah bagi autonomi kepada universiti, right? So, bila yang nak guna autonomi ni? Itu uh, soalan sedap saya cakap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, there's a question from Prof Ada and Prof Radi. So I couple that yeah. because it relates to each other, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, and and because we know that our ours is the lowest again, lowest in Indigenous tech and <laughs> lowest so called in that particular bar chart. Uh-huh. Okay, so do you think that? It is because we are so called ah uh, tinggi budaya luar. And then another one is, uh, is it because the use of uh, English? Okay, I just say it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for the question. Bagi saya, it is the lack of trust. Bil, uh, bukan Malaysia punya people tak ada uh, the technology. After all, a grab is a combination. Uh, tapi mm. oleh sebab kita tak ready. Problem yang perlahanan is our ecosystem. Our ecosystem kadang-kadang tak support. Kadang-kadang kita ada dah uh, mereka yang mempunyai teknologi yang hebat tapi the ecosystem uh, ataupun the university tak bagi pertolongan and then bila the university bagi pertolongan, negara pula tak bagi pertolongan and then becomes like a mosquito bite. You know, like what is something that you can do, fantastic, uh, it is just good enough to be a company. Padahal it could be an industry. 
should incentives come in, should um, we allow for apa, uh, sandbox to now facilitate, you know. So, semua sekarang ni, insyaAllah saya tak ada masa untuk nak cerita, tapi uh, mereka daripada Academy Science yang jadi fellow uh, dalam USIM, uh, patut tahu kita dah lay down all the Um, uh, apa the groundwork sekarang kita ada TCA untuk move uh, te, apa economic oriented research kita ada Malaysian Science Endowment that can now move this as well and then uh, all this so Prof Anand in short we need an ecosystem it's not about tak percaya it's not about kita ni we need an ecosystem that ecosystem number one mesti kena ada trust between academia dengan industry first mesti ada trust bila ada trust kita kena be able to now to work together. So, when we start to work together, then only we can collaborate. Bila kita collaborate, tak kenal maka tak cinta. So, bila kita kenal, barulah kita nak transfer kita punya teknologi dan dia pun nak terima kita punya teknologi. Bila kita dah trust, lawyer kita pula buat problem. Lawyer kita kata, oh, this intellectual property belong to the university, bukan belong to the industry. Pula dah. Dah jadi macam tu. So, what we need to have is our lawyers also must understand Industri punya law, memang kalau kita buat apa-apa dengan mereka, intellectual property akan belong to the industry. Tetapi, industri itu kita menjadi inventor. So, tak salah hubungan dong sebab sebagai inventor, we are better off because that industry, once they pump in money, dia akan commercialize that product. Right? So, as inventor, we will benefit and because inventor is linked to the industry, to the university daripada segi royalty, maka universiti pun untung. So benda tu lah saya kena cerita bila saya balik ke USM. Supaya sekarang ni lawyer-lawyer USM pun membenarkan. Uh, now facilitate, senang. Once the legal dah faham uh, uh, cara macam tu, sekarang ni uh, linkage USM dengan industri number one. Uh, so so that that is how we can now work. So the legal, legal uh, pun juga kena look into. Memanglah legal yang kita hire dekat universiti akan pastikan that University lah untung. Tapi sekarang ni kita nak tengok dalam konteks apa. So if the ecosystem, insyaAllah Anan, uh, Profesor Anan, uh, insyaAllah if the ecosystem now with TCA being up, technology commercialization accelerator, dengan adanya um, apa uh, apa uh, uh, sandbox, uh, all this now will be facilitated to move commercialization, to move economic oriented research and hopefully our apa, SME can terima sekarang ni and then move up. Satu lagi Prof. Adnan, uh, uh, among our problem di country is that we do not put enough uh, allocation uh, untuk commercialization. Uh, we put a lot of education in fundamental but not enough in experimental development. So about 24% saja. while other countries kalau nak move must be about 50%. So dalam RMK12, we are trying now to uh, move uh, from 24% up to 50%. Sebab apa perhatian, bila company um, dah ready nak ambil kata USIM punya teknologi, dia perlu duit and that duit is coming from the uh, apa venture cap, uh, all this are coming from that 50% of experimental development. So, bila venture cap dapat pump in the money, then you can set up the company, then you can commercialize. Tapi kalau duit pun tak ada, macam mana venture cap nak, nak, uh, nak dapat And venture cap nak bagi pula dekat uh, you to set up. So essentially is is driving to a halt lah. That's why uh, apa, uh, my jawapan Prof. Adnan is not about just one or two. It's about the entire ecosystem kena tukar. Selagi ekosistem ni tak tukar, 
selagi itulah uh, saya rasa we will remain uh, low as far as uh, indigenous technology and apa maka untuk menjadi high tech nation by 2030 probably will be a fantasy. Hmm. Okay, uh, Datuk uh, menjawab sekali ya Prof Radhi punya soalan tadi. Is it because we are not using our own language and bahasa pertama oh. kita just like in Japan, Germany and US and and in Korea. Oh about not about uh, kita punya uh, not about kita punya language uh, apa ni uh, bahasa mereka adalah bahasa kunci uh, no it's not about that indigenous technology ini uh, bukan kata kita tidak menghasilkan untuk menghasilkan dari segi patent ada you look at the university ada RU saja ada 4000 ah uh, uh, apa indigenous technology that is uh, patented maknanya ada 4000 so basically that these are ori tau ah uh, that's how you can get patent so we can do that in english tak ada masalah the problem is that we need industry to now use this technology so that the industry becomes an indigenous technology industry that is the whole idea bukan bukan the indigenous knowledge tu ada dengan the university university kena transfer so that's why bila dia kata bila saya kata the innovation chasm uh, uh, exist is tak transfer tak transfer tu maknanya ecosystem is not there ataupun academia industry tak ada yang kuat untuk nak move So sekarang ni it can also now that we need to income generate this is the time uh, for apa uh, vice chancellors and what not to also encourage academia industry linkage uh, so that we can now commercialize uh, our technology uh, for income generation lah dalam royalty dan sebagainya. Okay. Okay, I think there's no uh, questions being posed, but I have my own <laughs> some uh, experience. And uh, uh, in 1994, uh, I I was uh, the uh, 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 we we represented Malacca for Pertandingan Tercipta, Pegak Kebangsaan. So we did, which I was at uh, form four last time, <laughs> and our our invention was uh, the apa uh, ampayan lah, ampayan automatic. When it rained, and then it just pull every single clothes and whatever things that we dry uh, into the apa uh, shaded area lah. And during that time, 1994, the uh, the champion kan, the Johan was sekolah agama simpang lima at national level. Sekolah Menengah Agama Simpang Lima from uh, uh, Sekolah Selangor eh. It was a Sekolah Menengah Agama And their invention was actually a microphone that uh, came up uh, from the podium and stops at certain at certain point So that's the 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 champion at, uh, during that time, 1994 I only understood the how they managed to actually uh, create that innovation is uh, is all about the golden ratio though. it's about the golden ratio so how do you determine the microphone can stop at a point where it is the, it, the it's within the mouth within the mouth of the uh, of someone who's going to speak right so it was in 1994 and we were we were then called uh, to apa bangunan mara and we feature every single apa in, inventions from apa from from that particular uh, pertandingan reka ciptalah reka kebangsaan and well, everyone was 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 like waiting what's it going to be right until i saw that particular technology on the uh, academy award stage 
So Datuk boleh imagine kan about uh, about 10 to uh, 20 years after that only it's the technology from sekolah menengah agama persiwalingo was on academic awards apa ni kan stage i was quite overwhelmed but i think it is from ha dekat us ah yeah yeah academic awards yeah so i was i was like thinking at itu memang the technology or the innovations from sekolah menengah agama persiwalingo because from before that memang tak pernah kita nampak microphone yang came out from the from the stage or the podium so but i begin to understand that how they managed to do it is through golden ratio this from nakli evidence okay so so i begin to to to, to understand lah how sekolah menengah agama sekolah menengah is very high apa high performing school lah now hmm. uh, alright and and also tadi tu about the apa the kids uh, pemata insan eh, being able to to apa to foresee neuroscience neuropsychology and all that hmm. and so as the mapping goes in the asset Uh, figure eh so i see that is only nearing 2050 that we will be able to read minds right which uh, which we are beginning to realize the translational uh, understanding of surah al-alaq right i the the two final ayat ayat 15 and 16 about nasiyah nasiyatin kadibatin qatiah so uh, there's only 2050 only where we are we've, we've met that if we did 2050 we are able to do this brain uh, mapping being able to read minds right using the yeah, technology so, alhamdulillah walaupun yeah. 2050 <laughs> yeah. yeah still okay, still uh, we are able to really translate that yeah right. probably every was saying that is the technology for side up to 2050 tapi sekarang ni uh, we yeah. find neuroscience is a technology uh, bawah 1010 right it's one of the 10 mm-hmm. technology right. that we want to move forward so i think you're going to be able to do this uh, mind reading, mind mapping even faster, especially when yeah. we start precision So when we start to move mm-hmm. that, everything now needs to be um, personalized. Uh, so we need to have data. And uh, for precision medicine to move, obviously mm-hmm. uh, data is very, very important. So patient data, all that, uh, because we need to now see all genetic makeup of individuals are going to be different how is our drug because everything is now moving to personalized medicine for precision mm. medicine to take place. So um, I'm glad that we are moving to precision because that will mean the infrastructure need to be in place for precision medicine to take place. So inshallah, mm-hmm. if the infrastructure is there, then we are moving to 4G, 6G, then we are moving. Ini itulah sebenarnya to spill over, right? Kalau tidak, we tunggu, kita akan depend on the telco. Uh, we are still at 4G. And then, mm. um, And masih lagi, I think very simple challenge. Um, bila saya kata um, apa uh, learning nak pergi online, right? How mm-hmm. difficult it is for student have to come back to the university mm-hmm. uh, in order to get online learning. Sebab dia tak dapat internet. So my question is, kenapa ini tidak menjadi teras R&D? Mm-hmm. Untuk sekarang ni create. If kalau internet is not the answer, what is your alternative? Uh, is it Li-Fi uh, as an alternative, not Wi-Fi, but Li-Fi? Can mm-hmm. we now do some other alternative uh, in order to have online learning happen? So, negara-negara Commonwealth yang miskin daripada kita, semua dah ada online learning happening on alternative. Tapi kita masih depend on internet. Mm-hmm. You yeah. see, not? online learning can happen via many other modes. Why do you need to use internet? And, you know, budak Sabah, budak Sarawak kan susah. 
So mm. bottom line sekarang ni, why susah? This is the challenge for R&D where we really want action-oriented uh, thinking to now provide solution to current problem ni. Sekarang, mm. because you want to, you need to go online. Now dengan COVID case makin lama makin mm. tinggi, lagi kita tak dah work from home, right? Duk berkelahi antara ibu bapa punya work from home, meeting <laughs> dengan anak punya pun nak kena pergi sekolah melalui yeah. online. Uh, so, yeah. so all those yeah. matters. So this is the solution that we are looking for. So this is something that uh, actually we need to work on lah. Uh, and take that challenge rather than uh, you know uh, waiting for just internet and 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 don't marah kenapa internet don't slow. Kita takkan marah macam tu ya. But uh, action oriented means do something about it. Yeah. Right. These are simple solution that you need to so have. It's societal approach, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always said to Jinis uh, Nitan before that it should be your backyard problem, right? It's uh, the noblest mindset is backyard problem. <laughs> you always look at your backyard, what's happening around, right? <laughs> okay, uh, so thank you very much. Thank you very much for the talk. So ladies and gentlemen, Uh, we have come to the end of this uh, series five of lecture uh, science uh, Islamic science lecture, and we thank you so much. Uh, yang berbagi Professor Datuk Datuk Asma Ismail for kindness and sharing. Uh, thank you everyone for your presence. Uh, we hope that you've learned more to make more and share more afterwards. So that's our consumerism motto, right? And so that your casket ilman nafian and barakah streaming barakah ilal jannah. Right. Uh, so as I promise, I'll recite two pantun. Okay, two typing ups. Uh, belah berang an sumbawa bertamu nan indah rasa nusa tenggara. Baiklah tuan bawa berimu. Binilah bangsa bangunkan negara. Sulam dahanan buang burung tempua mengingin rasa bertamu pagi. Salam perpisahan buat semua di lain masa bertemu lagi. So that's all for now. It's my original pantun, right? We apologize for any inconveniences of any sort. Another session of this lecture series and discussions. Thank you very much, everyone.